heart to tongue. We're going to be in it for three more weeks today and two more weeks. We're looking at the close correlation that God has established in His Word between the heart and the tongue. They really are in so many ways scripturally inseparable. But we're looking today again at the heart, this incredibly efficient, uh, wonderfully complex, but yet very durable organ. Did, did you know that the human heart beats about 75 times a minute? Most of us are aware of that. But actually, it equates to about 100,000 times a day. Get this, 40 million times a year. Now, figure what that's going to be for, you know, 75, 85 years. It literally propels four, uh, six quarts of blood through 60,000 miles of vessels. That's, that's 20 times the going from coast to coast in the United States. That's what your heart is doing. The blood, it, it, it flows briskly and, and, and it surges out of this, this 10-ounce heart that most of us have. And it, it, it pushes it forcefully through our large arteries. And you've seen uh, on TV how oftentimes when, when one of those arteries is severed, the blood will literally shoot three to four feet out. There's that much propulsion, that much power behind it. And normally the relentless current that flows through us helps the blood, uh, helps keep the blood vessels clean. We understand that, that, that continuous flow. But there are also bends in our arteries, these sharp turns. And it's there that these tiny uh, eddies begin to form. And, and like a bend in the river, this is where bits of sticky, kind of waxy cholesterol and fat begin to just kind of seep in uh, to the walls of our arteries and veins. Anybody have butter this morning? <laughs> and they begin to oxidize. Other matters begin to pile up too, and eventually this whole mass calcifies, and it becomes kind of like we have this arterial stucco that just gets built, built up there. Soon it turns into this, this plaque that, that, that leads and causes heart disease. It's truly the silent killer in America and growing throughout the world if it isn't watched over and taken care of. Listen, I'm convinced of this. Spiritually, the same principles can be applied. In the scriptures, while we see physically the heart is this vital, important organ, the Bible says that it's the essence of who we are. It's the emotional core of our being. And literally everything flows out of our, of, our, of our life, flows and starts, originates within the context of our heart. Well, we've all had heart issues knowing that, emotional things. I remember Danielle Herman, she was a hottie. She was, had long brown hair, slender of build, big brown eyes. I mean, really long hair. And I would give her love notes with quarters wrapped in them for about two weeks, I'd run up on the playground and I'd hand them to her or stuff them in her pocket until she finally just said no more. That was in second grade. She broke my heart big time. <laughs> True story. She was my first love, first heartbreak. I have a friend who grew up in a very difficult home who if, in that home, if it wasn't imploding, it was exploding. And his friend, he played sports and and to run from the heartbreak of his home, that's what he absorbed himself in. And he'd become an extremely competitive person who constructed his whole life around winning everything that he was involved in. Winning began to be the salve that would cover the heartache that he experienced at home. 
I remember 1981 coming out of Bible college, believing I had all the right answers. I was God's answer man. I, I had to make sure that I stood up to prove that God was right, to prove that the Bible was right. And sometimes I had kind of a religious spirit doing it. I was more concerned about the right answers than I was about ministering to people in the right way. I didn't come always like Jesus with grace and with truth. I just came with the truth. And I realized over time very quickly that I had a religious heart. This past week, I was juror number 28. And I noticed juror number 15. Juror number 15 was a distinguished elderly man who when he was in the jury box and it was his time to share about himself, he quietly looked down at the paper as he read and with a sense of emotion, he went through it. And then he came to the one question about, Did you, do you live alone? He said, yes, I, I live alone. Could have stopped there, but he said this. My wife passed away eight years ago. That's why I live alone. And as I watched him, I saw his hand that he was still wearing his wedding band. I thought, there's a man with a broken heart. I'll come back to those last two stories in just a little bit. But just like our physical heart, where the flow of life originates, we have a spiritual heart, loved ones, that come the outflow of life's issues. The wisest man in the world said it this way back then. Solomon said in Proverbs 4.25, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it comes the wellspring of life. Everything is going to come out sooner or later out of your heart. It's the issues of life. See, in America, the greatest killer now we know is heart disease. Most people hear about the warnings. Isn't it amazing that we know that if we don't take care of ourselves physically the way we eat, if we don't exercise somewhat regularly, what can happen with our heart? Isn't it amazing that we know we're smart people, but we don't follow it? And that's why we see obesity on the rise. We see people, more people than ever, dying from heart disease. Everybody knows it, but we really don't want to practice it. And I think it's the same thing spiritually. God throughout the scripture is very clear. Take care of your heart. Let it be washed by the word. Come before me and let me renew it. And yet we, we're pretty independent. And it's not going to affect us. And just like we see people who, who die suddenly from a heart attack, how many people do we see die spiritually because they don't take care of their spiritual heart? Pretty soon there's a plaque, a spiritual plaque that, that begins to build up and in the brokenness and experiences of life. Pretty soon they just die. They fall away spiritually. I want to look at a passage. I want to read Scripture to you because what we're going to see is that Jesus comes for people like us. Sometimes it neglect our spiritual being. And he says, I want to bring healing to those places that have been broken in your heart and in your life. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Now, Jesus has been, he has, he's been baptized. And this is what's important. He's been, in Luke chapter 2, it says that he was taken to the temple by his parents and he was dedicated. And then it says uh, in Luke chapter, uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, that he literally went out and he was baptized by John the Baptist. 
Now, now why would Jesus have both, why would both of those things be included in the scripture? Well, I believe Jesus says, I want to be baptized because I want to show people that my parents took me and had me dedicated. Some of you have been dedicated. Some of you have dedicated your children. And what you're saying is, I want them to be people of faith. But Jesus, when he was 30 years old, he comes up and he says, would you baptize me, John the Baptist? Why does he do that? Because he wants people to know that, that the dedication might have been your parents' decision, but now the baptism is your public decision and declaration that I'm going to follow Christ. So Jesus does that. And then he begins to minister. And finally, he gets this, this chance to go home. And as he comes home, this is a great revelation takes place after he's already started a little short time of his ministry. Now he comes and there's a whole new revealing and revelation of who Jesus is. Notice what happens here. Verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him began to spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues. See, Jesus went to church all the time too. And if anybody needed to go to church, it was Jesus. But he was in church. And everybody began to praise him and build him up. Verse 16, then it's time to go to Nazareth. That's where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he's in the church, in the synagogue again. Why? Because this was his custom. And he stood up to read. Now, you have to understand, there's a major thing taking place here. Jesus is the guest speaker. He's been invited to speak. So he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he says, and this is what was written in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. It is a prophetic proclamation that points to the coming of the Messiah. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There's a number of things in there, but I want you to focus this morning on, on, on to heal the brokenhearted. And then it says in verse 20, he rolled the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he's saying there? He is saying, I am the man. I am the one that has come that prophetically was proclaimed back in Isaiah 61. He says, that's me. I'm the one that's coming to do those things. And I rejoice in the fact that, man, not only did he preach the good news, give his life for us, but he comes to heal those who are bound up, that are captive to different things, and that experience a broken heart. Why is that so important? Because, see, our, our heart becomes the control center, the control panel of so many things in our life. Because out of it flow the issues of life. And Jesus says, wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's pain, wherever there's hurt, I'm going to touch it if you'll just invite me in, let me in. And see, so often, uh, I want to remind you, don't run from a broken heart, because that's what so many people do. I oftentimes, I've counseled people I get to do a lot of counseling of pastors now, and a lot of times I'm counseling and meeting with pastors who are not in good places in their churches, and they're looking for any way they can to get out. This is the question I ask people. Are you running from something, or are you going to something? Big difference. See, whenever you run from something, you will eventually, ultimately carry the stuff with you that you're trying to run from. That's why you say, business is finished here, I've taken care of everything, so now I can go to something with great freedom. 
and not carry a bunch of baggage. But, but I know you say, well, okay, that's, that's really sweet, but that's hard to do. It is, because in the Bible, you'll see a lot of people didn't do that. It starts with Adam and Eve. As soon as they fell, remember what happened? What did they do? They ran. They hid from God. God, don't see me. I don't want to expose myself because you know what's really going on. Remember Jonah? God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He says, and Nineveh was uh, northeast from where he was. So what does Jonah do? He gets in a boat and he says, I'm going the other way. I'm running the other way. And he goes southwest to Tarshish. See, there's times when we don't want to do stuff. We want to deal with stuff. So we end up running. Peter denies Jesus. And he runs from the cross and warms himself to a campfire. The disciples are around Jesus in the upper room. And then as soon as Jesus is taken away to be crucified, they're gone. They're nowhere to be found. It's so easy to run. A little has changed today. People still run from issues, problems of brokenness, instead of going to someone who can make it better. Remember the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. It's really true. I could, I, I could give you example after example in my own life where when I ran from some things earlier in my life, God always brought me around to have to deal with those things or those people. I just couldn't get away from them. And God said, I'm going to teach you. So I learned, don't run from stuff. See, when anybody talks about a broken heart, did you know it's in the Bible? It's really where the phrase comes from. David said in Psalm 69, 20, David says, their insults have broken my heart. That's where the term broken heart comes from. And did you know there's actually a broken heart syndrome today? Doctors say that when people go through a lot of traumatic stress and events in your life, that our brain begins to release chemicals to help us deal with this event. But the problem is part of these chemicals over time begin to weaken the soft tissue of our heart and cause health problems. So just let me tell you, it is not healthy for you to deal with a lot of traumatic stuff in your life. Get rid of it as much as you can. Don't be a drama person because there's always gonna be stuff that you have to deal with, but don't take on stuff that you shouldn't. So what causes broken and and weakened hearts? Well, a, a lot of different things. Did you know in life, I believe this, every one of us kind of, the two, life has a toolbox. We're just kind of, there's a toolbox that's available to everybody. And when we're born, at some point, when we become a little more cognizant, I know how to use this. <laughs> we, uh, we, we strap on our own little kind of tool belt. And pretty soon we begin to, I think I know how to use it. Okay, I'm, and we begin to strap, and, and over time, quit laughing, it's, I've, I wear these in Mexico every year. <laughs> but we, that's what I love about Creekside. You know me too well. Let me get through this. But in life, what do we begin to do? We begin to pick up our own tools, don't we? From the toolbox of life. And we begin to wear them. See, some people will pick up really positive things. I'm going to have a positive attitude, and they pick up, you know, just kind of a, a nut idea of me. I'm going to be positive. And other people will pick up the other way. I'm going to be negative. So that becomes part of their tool belt they carry around. And you can just go right down the line what people pick up, what they don't pick up. But we all have to deal with making choices of what's going to be in our life belt, tool belt. And unfortunately, some people, they, they, they really grab the hammer and, 
and they really take the hammer of disappointment, things that happen in their life, and they strap it on. They put it there. There's so many people that get broken by disappointment because there's things in life we can't control. And when things don't turn out like you planned, guess what happens? You get disappointed. And some of us, you've had enough disappointments that you just feel like you've been hammered by life over and over. And you don't enjoy life. And part of that's some of the choices that you've made. Part of it is just life happens that we all have to deal with. Others of us, you know, we pick up the screwdriver of rejection. This one hurts a lot. Probably hurts more than anything. When you really love somebody and given yourself to somebody and they reject you. When you serve somebody, ministered to somebody, given your life as a parent, as a spouse, as, any, as a minister, whatever, you serve somebody and all of a sudden they begin to reject you, turn against you. You know what you feel like? You feel like you're getting screwed. But what happens is, you see, you take this here screwdriver and you begin to put it in your tool belt. And then that begins to be a tool that you carry around. And then you know what you do? You look at everybody and you wonder, are they going to screw me? Are they going to screw with me? And you carry that. And pretty soon, you don't have relationships with people because you believe everybody's going to treat you the way somebody else did. They're going to reject you. And then, of course, there's the, the saw of resentment. Big saw, huh? But the saw of resentment. How many of us let this one begin to be a part of our, our tool artillery? This one can cut away at your heart very quickly. It's when you hold on to the way people have hurt you. It's when you begin to resent what is done for you. But it's almost really, friends, it's like taking fire to your chest. Sooner or later, you're going to get burnt by it. It'll burn you up internally. It's going to eat you alive. I believe resentment is worse than cancer because cancer can take your physical being, but, but, but resentment begins to just sap your soul, do a death blow to your spirit. Don't take resentment into your heart because it will break you, it will mess with you, and it will begin to affect how you see and deal with everybody else. See, and that's the issue. See, when we begin to fill our tool our tool uh, belt with those kinds of things. You know what happens? Pretty soon, we're carrying these things around. They become a load on our body and a load on our heart. And then we begin to look at people in a totally different way. And the very way that we've been treated and the way that we have embraced these things and taken them in and carried them around, oh, sooner or later, we begin to do the same thing with other people. This person hurt me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resent them. People see it. People pick up on it really quickly. It begins to affect our attitudes in life. You know the old saying, hurt people, hurt people. And if you allow these things to become part of your life tool belt, you will become a person that is continually hurting other people. And then you'll wonder, why doesn't anybody want to be around me? So what do we do with those things? Well, we've got to take each and every heartbreak. Let it lead you to Jesus. Let every heartbreak lead you to Jesus because brokenness is going to come in your life. That's why there was a prophetic promise 3,000 years ago that said Jesus is going to come so that he can heal the brokenhearted. 
That's why that prophetic promise was given, because God knows life brings a lot of brokenness. It said that Jesus was going to come and preach the good news so that he could bind up those whose heart has been broken. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirit has been crushed. I would, I would venture to say some of you today have come in here with a crushed spirit. You're wondering, God, what's going on in my life? The weight of everything, it's killing me, it's hurting my heart, my inner being. Psalm 62, 8 says this, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Let those broken points lead you back to Jesus. See, pain and brokenness is going to change every one of us. But it won't always be for the better. Why is that? Because you've got to make a choice. Are you going to choose between growth and grumbling to move forward or to fall back? To find God or to forsake your faith? And all of these things, loved ones, will begin to flow, will begin to affect the, the spiritual flow of your spiritual heart and life and what comes out. And see, some of us, we choose all these negative things, and it's like if we were spiritually, if you want to take the analogy further, it'd be like some of us are eating a half a pound cheeseburger every day of our spiritual life. Because and it's just beginning to clog up the flow of your spiritual life, how you see life, and what God wants to do in and through of your life. Because this is what begins to happen. People will get a hard heart. When you don't, lead, when you don't allow broken areas and brokenness become, bring them to Jesus, let them lead you to the, to, the, to the one who heals broken areas, you get a hard heart. You become stoic, you become protective, you distance yourself from others because you want to protect this hard shell that's been established there. And you know what? You really have a heartless existence. You won't live much, you won't celebrate much, you won't laugh much. Oh, you'll be alive, but you won't be living. You'll have a faithless heart, maybe. You'll be unable to see God in your brokenness. Everything that comes your way, you're going to say, where's God? Instead of saying, oh, there's God. I see God in this. Yeah, this is tough, but I can see God in this. It's like this gal who had some very severe physical afflictions and infirmities in her life. And as she grew up, she became friends with this lady. And this, this, this friend became very close to her, but uh, very uh, compassionate toward her. And she said to her friend, I bet all of these, I bet every one of your days is colored with what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and this wonderful woman of faith turned to her, to her friend and said, yes, it is. But I get to choose the color from God's palette every day, how I'm going to color my world, my life. And friends, that's the way it is with every one of us. God says, here's the toolbox, here's the palette. You choose. Difficulties, brokenness will either move you forward and change you in a positive way or a negative way. But every one of us will make the decision. But there's another one that's a little less obvious. And this, this started kind of germinating in my heart yes, uh, Friday in our journaling group when we were going through Matthew. And Matthew 5, 20 says, Jesus says to these guys, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're not going to make it. And I thought, what? I mean, these guys were perfect. They knew the word. They did everything right. And that's the point. Jesus said it's not about what you do right all the time. It's about your heart. Because those guys did everything right, crossed every T, uh, dotted every I. But he said to them later, 
your hearts are so far from me. And that's probably the greatest disease that any of us can experience. Turn over to Luke chapter 15, if you would. Most of us are probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son. It's interesting that it's called the prodigal son because there's really two prodigals in the story. There's only, there's only one difference. One left, one stayed at home. Sometimes we forget about that. Now, you remember the story, the, the, the prodigal, the wayward, the younger son, tells his dad, give me your goods. I want you dead. I don't care if you're alive. I really don't care about you. Just give me my stuff. I want to get the heck out of here now. So he runs off, and what does he do? He hangs with hookers. He drinks wine, the best. He takes care of his friends, his little entourage, has a great time, and all of a sudden he goes flat broke, and he realizes, oh my gosh, i got to get back home. Now, this is a parable. It's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meeting that Jesus is communicating. And I'll tell you who he's talking about. You see it in verse 1. He's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because they couldn't stand people that were like the prodigal son who took off and, you know, messed up their life. Some of us can't either, can we? Well, listen to what Jesus says. They come back and there's this big celebration. They, they, they kill the fatted calf. There's this incredible party because the dad says he was lost. Now he's found. He was away. Now he's back. Woohoo! We're partying. But there's this great word here, verse 25. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? He says, your brother has come home. He replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Notice this. This is what happens to people with religious hearts. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. He refused to experience the joy and celebration, the best meal possible, because he's angry and resentful. Notice this father. That's really a picture of Father God. The father went out and he pleaded with him. But the son answered his father, look, you just, you just hear the resentment, the disrespect taking place here. Look, all these years I've been sunning for you. No, I've been slaving for you. That's not the word you use with your father, is it? I would want to say to my father if he were alive today, Dad, all of these years I've been the best son for you that I could. But no, this son goes, I've been slaving for you, old man. I've never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, listen, you hear the derisiveness of this. But when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours comes home, he squandered your property, he's hung out with prostitutes, and you killed the best calf. I don't get it. Out of the issues of life, or out of the heart, flow the issues of life. What, what's he saying about his life? 
This is the father, the tender, loving father. My son, you know what? You're, you're always here with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. Period. We, we don't know what the son did. But I think with his heart, he didn't go back in. As soon as in college, I told you, I was more concerned about truth, and truth is critical, but I, I, I used it to sometimes break down people to give them the truth of God instead of building them up. I wanted them to know the truth instead of experiencing the truth of Jesus Christ, and God had to tenderize my heart to change that. Because so many people that know the word and know about religious stuff, come to church on Sunday mornings. Can I tell you something? You can become an older brother really, really quickly. Happens in churches all the time. They get angry. You know why? Because they sit in church and they go, I kept all the laws. I've done everything. I've done it right. But then when something begins to twist or tweak in their life, what's the first thing they do? God, why? And they begin to shake a fist and raise their voice at God. You know why? Because they're in a bartering system with God. God, I did everything right, therefore you owe me. You've got to take care of me. You know what that is? That's a slave mentality. I'm going to do for you, God, because I can control you so you'll do good for me. And God never operates that way. He has given us life and the opportunity for eternal life. If we get nothing more, we've got the best. But so often, when things don't go our way in life, if you've got a religious heart, the first thing you will do is you'll get mad at God and you'll tell him what you've done for him and what you deserve. Second thing is he's, he's got this joyless, this, this fear-based commitment. What does he say? I've been slaving for you. It's not, you know what, God? You're kind of like my father in heaven. I love you. I've served you because I want to do for you. I, wanna, I want people to know about you. I want to experience the joy of my salvation. I want to worship you for who you are, not just for what you do. No. He's a slave. Because if I do the right things, I can control God. And it will benefit me. Can you think of a more selfish response for serving God? And the last part of it is he has no assurance of the Father's love. He says, you never threw me a party. It's interesting that God provided for him. His Father, I mean, his Father provided for him everything that he needed. But he's trying to earn his father's love instead of receive it and experience it and to love his father for who his father was. It was all about what he could get. And when he didn't get, he was ticked. And I see a lot of Christians operate that same way. God owes me. I've served God. How come? Why not? Why them? Not me. See, we can look at the prodigal and we can go, oh yeah, doesn't God love that person? 
Yeah, they've come out of alcoholism and addictions and all of these bad, bad, no, 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 no things. And we go, yeah, love God. Yeah, isn't God great? And all the while miss that as far away from God, as, as, as far away from his father as he was, this guy that was living in the same house with the father, he was further away from, from him. Can I tell you something? There's people out there that are closer to God than some people that sit in here. And that's what's scary, that you can go through that kind of heart disease and not even know you're there because of the way you're responding to your father. Sometimes we forget that. See, how do you respond when we talk about going out there and seeing people saved? Well, what about me? I kind of like church my way. What about when you see somebody coming here all tattooed up in a tank top? What in the world are they dressing like that in church? You know, or they got three or four or 12 little rings coming out of their nose. I, I wonder if Jesus wouldn't have some tattoos today. A couple, well, I won't go, I'll stop there. <laughs> lest, lest I get some notes, I don't know what Jesus would do, but I do know who he hung out in those days. He was down at Shorty's and down at uh, the taverns and the bars and running around because he didn't have a religious bone in his heart. He loved the Father, and he knew who the Father was wanting to reach. So what's the last thing? I, I want to challenge us as a church, you today, that you would set your heart on what cannot be broken. What do you value? Jesus said this, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and dust are going to destroy them and thieves break, it, thieves break it and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy Thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where's your treasure today? Because that's where your heart's going to be. See, Jesus, I mean, Paul said it this way, that God has given this treasure to us. It's the gospel. And when he says that your treasure would be in heaven, that everything about you would be placed where Jesus is. Because you know that's the most secure, best place in the world. And when you're, when you're heavenly minded, when your heart is heavenly focused, It'll change the way you do life. It'll make a difference everywhere you go, not only internally, but out here. Jesus said, I've come to preach the good news. What's the good news? It's you're not an accident. It's you are made to last forever. God said that, that he gave us his spirit to live within us, to change us. He said in Ezekiel that he's going to give us a new heart. He's going to replace this hard one for one that is filled with the life of Jesus through his spirit. Give us purpose for living. Purpose for today, a future to live in tomorrow. Ultimate hope of heaven. So, so what, what, what are you treasuring now? What are you valuing? Because that's where your heart's gonna be. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. Juror 15. We went to Buttercup Restaurant, uh, you know, that's right next to the Walnut Creek Courthouse, and I'm sitting there, and I'm reading and getting ready for today, God's work. And over there to my right is juror number 15, looking around, looks somewhat just broken, not bad, but distinguished, 
hurting. And I look at him and start reading. I like to look at people. I look at him again. Ah, poor guy. Hmm. (laughs) Finally, I don't know if it was the Lord, but there was something in me that I just said, I actually heard it a couple of times. Go invite him over for lunch. I go, that's weird. Why would I do that? I don't know him. He didn't know me. (laughs) Finally, I just, I couldn't not do it anymore. I walked over to the table. It was about this far. I just said, I said, sir, I'd be privileged if you'd come and have lunch with me and just if if you'd like to. He looks at me, he goes, you know, thank you, but no thank you. I, my, my waitress knows that I'm here and I'm just going to sit here and, and eat. That's all I said. And I said, well, thanks. Have a great day. I walked back and had lunch. Can I tell you something? I didn't feel one ounce of rejection, resentment because he said no. I didn't feel bad. I felt like, God, thanks for giving me the, the, the finally get my attention to step out and go do that and to be willing to touch the brokenhearted. Because next time, it won't take me three or four times. Maybe two, but not three or four. (laughs) Why? Because if my treasure is up here in heaven where Jesus is, I'll be doing the things that Jesus wants me to do. Can I tell you what that is? It's to minister to the brokenhearted and to keep my spiritual antenna up so I can reach them. Amen? That's what Jesus wants to do. Now, we're going to get ready to, and I'm going to invite the uh, communion servers to come. And if you would just w- come forward and wait till I dismiss you to um, serve. We're going to receive communion. And, and this is really pushing it. I know, you know, I got this offering thing going. Now I'm going to play a secular song for you. And some of you, you go, oh my gosh, I went to church. And, and, what, and what really makes it tough is it's country and western. Oh, <laughs> but I got to tell you, I got five country and western songs on my iPod now, and so you're, I'm, I'm coming that way a little bit, but this is the song. I was running yesterday, and it was, it was the song, I just heard it the other day and downloaded it, it's, it's I Run to You by Lady Antebellum. And some of you are really familiar with it. But listen, it, it says this. It says, you know, uh, uses the word babe. Can I tell you what I do? My, my wife could probably, that, I could sing that. To, I couldn't sing it to her, but I could say, here, read this. This is what I feel about you. But <laughs> I, I could. But, but when I was running, I didn't think of my wife. I thought of my Lord. I thought of Jesus. Because I'm running, but it's not because I, but it's because there's something in my heart. Oh, God, there's so many things that I face that I need you in every day. And I want you to, as you listen to it, don't get so enamored with, oh, I love Lady Annabelle. But notice the words and see them as being, maybe some of you need to run to Jesus today to take care of some business. And I'm going to ask that as you receive your communion, would you hold it? And then we're going to receive it together. We're just going to give you an opportunity to think about this. Okay? Would you serve? Thank you. I run from prejudice, I run from pessimists, but I run
There's some lines that I think may apply to some of us today. I love his closing on the first stanza where he says, I run too late. It's never too late with God. Most of us start out too late, but it's never too late. Some of us would feel like I, I run my life or is it running me? I'm on a treadmill. I'm tired. God help me. Some might say, I'm just running from my past, but I can't run fast enough. Don't run from your past. Bring it to the one that can heal it. You can't outrun your past. It's there. So bring it to the one that can heal it, who can erase it, who can remove it, who can heal you from it and through it, to use it as a crown, a jewel of his grace. When lies become the truth, that's when I run to you. Loved ones, so many of you deal with lies that become the truth. How many times have I heard, I'm just not a good enough pastor? And I begin to believe that instead of saying, devil, I'm giving it my best and that's what God wants. Some of you have heard, you're not a good enough parent, but you're giving it your best and that's what God wants. But that lie becomes a truth and you begin to operate out of that. Run to Jesus with those lies. The world's going to come undone. There's going to be a disaster. So what are you going to do? 
You're going to let it help you grow? Or are you going to shake your fist at God? I love the thing. I, I run on fumes. Lord, I just, I need some renewal from you. Some of you are here today. So this is what we're going to invite you to do. And I didn't say this, but if you're visiting today, we have an open communion. And if you didn't take communion because you're not a part of this church, just raise your hand and we'll make sure you get it. Because it's open to everybody. Because this is a place of healing. And before we receive our communion, I want you to think about, is there, what, 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 kind, of, what kind of tool, what, what kind of stuff do you got to take out of your, your tool belt today? You got to take some resentment out? You've been hammered with it and hammering people with it? You got to take the screwdriver out? The belief that you're always getting and maybe you started saying well I'm going to get mine on somebody else then I mean, cutting people down because they're getting ahead and you don't think they should because you're a God follower take them out of your tool belt today you'd be amazed at the weight you will carry and run to Jesus and allow him to heal you